Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. If you have a Bible with you, um, or you have a Bible app on your mobile phone, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, um, and we're going to be looking at chapter number six. And I want to welcome you back uh, uh, to part three of our current series titled uh, Know Your Enemy. And the reason why we are in this series is because... As, as Pastor Rick Warren said, uh, you know, you were born into a battle, a cosmic struggle. And, and uh, I don't want to be overdramatic, but, but this battle has been going on, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's been going on since the beginning of creation. And whether you are aware of it, whether you believe it or not, you can't deny that there's something wrong with the world. Something, you know, isn't right. And you know that it's not. You feel it. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with, with the people around you. There's something wrong with your family. There's something wrong with your friends. There is something wrong with you. And what is wrong is that we've all been contaminated with sin. Sin entered the world and it, and it affected everything. And, um, and, and when it did, it brought death with it. It brought decay with it and destruction. And, and it's poisoning and it's contaminating everything and everyone around us. And for all the ways that we try to, de- to deny it and all the ways we try to ignore it and all the ways that we try to entertain ourselves and keep ourselves busy and distracted and for all the ways that we try to, to keep ourselves medicated, we still know that this is true. Something is fundamentally wrong with the world around us. You can sense it, you can taste it, you can see it, all right? And for all that people do, you know, in this world to fix the world, the decay continues to grow, okay? There's something that's happening because this isn't a physical thing that we can do to fix it, okay? There's, there's, there's nothing we can do in the material world to stop it. I mean, think about this. For every solution that, come, that people come up with in the world, there's just another problem because this is a spiritual battle that's being waged right now. Now you can't see it happening, but you can certainly see the devastating consequences of it. You were born into a battle and this battle started not with Adam and Eve. It started, it began with our enemy, a real enemy, an enemy who rebelled against God, who wanted to replace God and an enemy that lured mankind into that same rebellion. And and as we said, you know, this, this enemy right now is, with, is at war with us right at this moment. And he is actively hunting you. He is hunting your family. He's hunting your friends and everyone you've ever known and everyone you've ever cared about in your entire life. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your health, your finances. He wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to destroy your peace. But most importantly, he wants to destroy your eternity. And he wants to destroy the eternity of everyone you know and everyone you love. That is what he wants. And in the very first week of this series, we jumped in here and we began to talk about the myths that surround our enemy that make it really hard to identify him. And and the first myth that we talked about is not simply promoted by our culture, but it's also being promoted inside many churches. And and, and it's such a dangerous myth. And it's the myth that Satan, our enemy, doesn't even exist. There are just so many people who are so willing, including people inside the church who claim to follow Jesus, to go along with this idea that Satan's just a literary figure that was created to help explain pain and evil to a superstitious world. 
But as we discovered from scripture, that is not true. Okay? Because we know, we can know for sure that Satan exists. And the reason why we can know that is because, because um, not just besides the destruction that we see in the world, but we know it for the fact because the Bible claims that he's real. In addition to that, uh, the apostles and the New Testament authors claim that he's real. But most importantly, Jesus, God in the flesh, believed that Satan is real. Okay? And this is important because if Jesus, God in the flesh, the creator of all things, he spoke about Satan. He spoke directly to Satan. He pronounced judgment on Satan. And if Jesus says he's real, then the, the fact is really very simple. He is real. And to deny that is just to be willfully ignorant and even downright dishonest with ourselves. Now, the second myth that we tackled um, is actually the opposite idea. There's some people that believe that Satan is, is real, but he's just, he's the, the uh, equal counterbalance to Jesus, that somehow Jesus and Satan are equally matched. But as we talked about, that is not how it is. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the creator of all things, which means he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. Satan, alternatively, was a created being, Okay? He's part of creation, which means he has limited power. Yes, he's very powerful, but his power is still limited. And although he may be wise and may, may be very intelligent, he's not all-knowing. And though he is a spiritual being, he is not ever-present, which means he's really no match for Christ. And what's more, he's already been defeated. It's already been taken care of. You know, Jesus already won. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead, you know, and giving us the ability to have eternal life. And so no matter what the enemy does, for those who believe in Christ, that eternity can't be taken away. Satan has been defeated. Satan's judgments have been pronounced. His fate is sealed. All we can do now is just all we can do now is wait for that destruction. All he can do is destroy creation. Okay? And all he can do is try to take as many people to hell with him. Now, in the second week, we moved on from not who our enemy isn't, but we began to talk about who our enemy is. In fact, where we actually begin to ask the questions is, who is he? Where did he come from? And, and what does he do? And how does he do it? And as we explored these, the scriptures, we were able to get a clear picture of who our enemy is. Satan began his existence as a beautiful and wise and powerful angel, Lucifer. And he was created... You know, prior to the creation of the world. And he had one of the most honorable positions in all of heaven. But somewhere between the time he was created and before he tempted Eve, because of pride, he decided he wanted to replace God. And he incited one third of the angels to rebel against God. Okay? And in that rebellion that he started back then, it still rages today. And this devil then aims to try to hurt God not by trying to hurt God directly, because he can't. He tries to hurt God by hurting what God loves, which is his creation, you and me. Satan wages war against us, and it began for us in the Garden of Eden. And that's why we see the evidence of this destruction in, in the world. We, we can see what's wrong with the world. Our enemy is working to destroy creation, and we see all around us the evidence of that. And this war... Though, you know, it has physical consequences, it's fought in the heavenly realm. Satan is not bound to hell like some of our popular culturally induced images suggest. He's not the warden of hell. He is a fallen angel who still roams the spiritual world and he has access to the physical world as well. And his demon army works to deceive the nations 
and deceive unbelievers. And he works overtime in order to tear down and defeat believers to make us useless. That's who our enemy is. He's not a myth. He is not a figment of our imagination. Nor is he God's equal. He is powerful to be sure, but he's not all powerful. He is wise and intelligent, but he's not all knowing. He has a huge army, but he does the bidding that does his bidding, but he is not at all ever present. He is a formidable foe, but he is a defeated foe nonetheless, and he will soon be judged, and he will perish uh, in eternity. That is who our enemy is. Now, if you missed the last uh, couple of weeks uh, in this series, then you probably have uh, some questions about what we just talked about, and rightfully so, because in the last couple of weeks, we, we really talked about a lot of theology, and we covered a lot of scripture, and we've talked a lot about this subject, and I want to encourage you to get caught up by either going to our church website or our SoundCloud page and listen to what you missed, and, uh, and you don't have to worry about writing the, the website address down. It's actually in your, in your bulletin, uh, but, uh, but this week, as I promised you, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to engage our enemy and fight back in this battle, because as believers and Christ followers, we are not helpless victims. As the children of God, okay, as God's children with a promised inheritance, we are not helpless casualties of war, okay? You've all seen the pictures of war-torn cities where people are in, huddled in a dilapidated building and they're cowering down in fear, quivering and afraid. That is not us. That is not who we're supposed to be. The people that belong to Jesus are, are not like that. And though the enemy may attack us, and he may even try to break our heart and hurt us, we are not helpless and we are not defenseless victims waiting for our fate because we have the ability to fight back. In fact, as I mentioned before, John Piper in a sermon noted that the devil cannot devour Christians. He cannot swallow up Christians and take them to hell. He might be able to hurt us physically. He might be able to break our hearts through other people. But he cannot devour us and take away our eternity. And the reason why, as John Piper says, is Christians, people who actually know who Jesus is and who actually follow Jesus, those people fight back. And if you have been saved and you know who it is that has your back and you firmly are trusting in God for your eternity, then, then, then you can and you will fight back because this is what Christians do. You see, we don't have to cower down when the enemy prowls around. We don't have to run for cover when the enemy shows his face. We stand our ground and we fight back. We have the ability as God's chosen instruments in this world to fight back and take back what the enemy is trying to take from us. But the question is, how? How do you do that? I mean, how do you stand your ground and fight against an enemy that you can't even physically see with your eyes? How do you stand... You know, the attacks of the enemy that are coming from the spiritual realm. How do we engage in a battle that's taking place in the heavenly places? Right? It's a really good question. And, 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 and just as the enemy can affect us physically in this world, even though that he's in the heavenly places, right? We can affect 
that, that immaterial reality, we can affect that battle by what's happening here and what we do here on earth. And, and the reason why we can do that is because God has given us the tools to do just that. He has given us the tools that we can use right here, right now to impact that battle in the spiritual realm. And the Apostle Paul, who knows something about spiritual warfare, talks about these tools in the letter to the Ephesian church uh, in chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Now, what I'm going to do for you this morning is I'm going to read this text for you. Okay, and so that way we can kind of get an idea of where Paul is going with this. And then we're going to go back through this and we're going to look at the specific details. So Ephesians chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 10, it reads this way. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to keep, I mean, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, Paul, uh, being true to his form, always in the last part of his letters, typically he gives us practical advice on how to apply the word of God to our lives. Because that's how Paul typically writes his letters. He usually spends the first half of every letter talking about theology. And then the last half he spends talking about practical application. What do you need to do with what you learn? And this text right here is no different. Paul in this text here is extremely, extremely practical. He gives us practical everyday advice that we can use to do battle with our enemies. We continue to stand against the one who is hunting us. Now let's, let's take a little closer look at this. Beginning in um, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, I want you to focus on this for a minute because the first thing that you need to just come to terms with and understand is that you are not going to fight this battle in your own strength. You are not going to be able to fight this battle in your own strength because you are not strong enough. Just be clear about that. You are a flesh and blood human being. Your lifespan is approximately 70 to 100 years. You were born spiritually dead until Christ saved you. You were still easily tempted, easily corrupted, and easily manipulated. And you were doing battle with an enemy who is older than creation itself, who is super wise, intelligent, cunning, a master of disguise. And, and because he is spiritual, he's even beyond your physical vision. You were not going to fight this enemy in your own strength. Because here's the truth. You can't even rescue yourself from the temptation that surrounds you by your own strength. You can't even make your marriage work in your own strength. You can't even fix that broken part of you in your own strength. How are you going to fight the world's most powerful adversary who knows all the tricks in 
your own strength. It's impossible. And it actually is borderline arrogant and maybe even idolatrous to even try. Second, uh, Paul, in, in his second letter to the Corinthians, helps us to see that in chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited or arrogant or proud because of my abilities, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being, becoming conceited. Okay, Paul was struck with a weakness or an infirmity. Now, we don't know exactly what it is, whether it was a physical injury or an illness, but Paul was affected by something, and the result of this affliction was to keep him from becoming conceited or walking in his own strength. Okay, and then he says in verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, he, that it should leave me. Okay, he prayed to God three times that God would remove this affliction But he, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Let me say that again. Because if there's a phrase that you need to memorize, there's a phrase that you need, it's this one right here. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough for you. It's enough to sustain you. You don't need anything else. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in Weakness. You see, your weakness, your frailness, your brokenness is the platform that God uses to show himself powerful. It is your weakness that you need to embrace. It's in your weakness you need to embrace God's power to fight the enemy. Paul goes on to say, Therefore I boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest On me. You simply need to embrace the truth that you cannot and will not do this on your own. That's what Paul exhorts us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and his strength. Lean on him. Trust in him. Depend on him. He is the one that's all powerful. He is the one who has already won the battle. He is the one who will give you what you need to win and fight back. That's what Paul says. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God. God has given us the tools and the strength to fight with. He has given us the weapons and the armor but with which to do battle against our enemy. That's what Paul's saying here. Okay? He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That you'll be able to stand up against his attacks. That you're prepared and you are ready to stand up against the schemes and the traps and the sneak attacks of your enemy. That's what he tells us. And he says, he says, we do not, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the, in the heavenly places. You need the armor and weapons from God in order to fight this battle because this battle is not physical. It's not in the physical realm. It is a spiritual battle in this fight. Okay? And to fight this fight, you need to be strong in the Lord, putting on the armor and the weapons that God has given you. And then Paul emphasizes this point and he says, Therefore, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, something I want to point out here. In verse 11, Paul says to put on the armor of God. 
Verse 13, he says to take up the armor of God. You see, the, in, the, in verse 11, the verb to put on in the Greek actually indicates permanence, meaning you need to put on the armor of God and keep it on all the time, okay? That you were to never take it off, that you were to put it on and keep it on. The verb in verse 13, though, is the idea of raising something or lifting something, okay? And, and, and that's what you do with armor, right? You lift it up, you position it for maximum protection, meaning you get ready to fight. I mean, it's one thing to actually put armor on and carry around a shield. It's a whole other thing to be battle ready, and that's what's being emphasized here in, in verse 13, to be ready with your armor and your weapons that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all that you can to stand firm. Paul is emphasizing readiness, being prepared to fight at all times, because this battle right here goes on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He doesn't ever take a day off. Okay. We need to put on the armor, keep it on, be ready to fight at all times. That is the emphasis in the text here. Now, what is this armor? Well, Paul answers this question in, in, the, in the verses that follow. And we're going to take those at one at a time. In fact, look at verse 14. It says, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. Okay, let's talk about that belt of truth. You see, in that culture, soldiers all wore tunics. Okay. And for a lack of better description, that means they all wore this loose-fitting dress or skirt, okay? There were no pants, okay? There were no pants in the day. Everybody wore something that came over their head and hung down loose at the bottom, all right? Some were longer than others, okay? And this loose material was not suited for going into battle, especially hand-to-hand -hand combat, because you can get tangled up in your own tunic, right? Or you can get hung up on something, or you can stumble and fall because of your tunic, which all those things are really bad if you're in the middle of a fight, Okay? And so what soldiers would do at the time before they went into battle is they, they tucked all that loose excess material in. They pulled it up really high, right? And they took a belt and they wrapped it really tight around themselves. That way they wouldn't get caught up or trip on their tunic. So what Paul's saying is, is, is you need to tuck in all the loose ends of your life in the truth. You need to walk in the truth and anchor all the points of your life in the truth. Because, because the truth is, is, is that the truth gives you freedom of movement, all right? When you're living in the truth, you have the ability to move around unhindered. Otherwise, you can become entangled by things that are untrue. You can fall victim to the enemy's attacks by getting tangled up in your own life when you're living in untruth. This is very practical. What you need to do is you need to make sure that you're walking and living in the truth. You need to anchor every part of your life in the truth, your home life, your work life, your church life, your private life when you're at home by yourself when nobody's looking, okay? And all of your relationship lives, all of these areas need to be anchored by the truth. Otherwise, you can get tripped up all the way. Otherwise, you'll fall down and become easy prey for your enemy. Paul says, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, <laughs> we don't have to know a lot about Roman armor to understand what a breastplate is, okay? A breastplate is simply a piece of armor that a soldier wears to, that, that covers their abdomen to protect their vital organs, right? And some of these things were decorative at the time and some of these things were really very simple, but either way, it had one function, protect your vital organs, specifically your heart. 
And that's what Paul is saying here is you need to protect your heart because your enemy is always trying to attack you there. He will either try to break your heart with tragedy He will try to poison your heart with bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. Or he will try to steal your heart with greed and pride and lust and and idolatry. The enemy is always trying to hit you in that vital organ, the heart. And so Paul tells you, put on the breastplate, this hardened piece of armor. The breastplate is made of what? Righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, all right? That's how you protect your heart is with righteousness, all right? We begin to actually live and walk in the righteousness of God. We begin to live a life that reflects God's own righteousness. We begin to live in obedience to what God says to do in that close communion and in also practical everyday holiness. It's a life that's marked by turning away from sin and turning towards God. That's how you protect your heart from the enemy, Right? And this isn't just a one-time thing. This is an all-the-time thing. You put this breastplate of righteousness on and you keep it on. That's how you protect your heart. You must make God's standard of righteousness your own standard and then walk in that. Now, let's not be confused. This isn't about being saved. Okay? Right? This isn't about salvation. You don't try to be righteous to be saved because you can't be the only way you can be saved is to trust in Jesus. You can't be saved by your own righteousness. You can't do enough righteous things to save yourself. Okay? God had to rescue you. So this isn't about salvation. This is about not becoming a victim of the enemy's relentless attacks. Because let me just promise you, if you're not guarding your heart with righteousness, it's only a matter of time before the enemy stabs you in the heart. It's only a matter of time before he poisons your heart or steals your heart with sin. It's only a matter of time that you fall victim to the schemes of the devil, right? And then when that happens, not only will you suffer, and make no mistake, that's what sin leads to, is suffering. Sin always leads to suffering. It costs something. But not only will you suffer, but you become wounded to the point that you actually get taken out of the fight, and we see it all the time with, with Christians who fall into sin. They get wounded so badly that their sin becomes virtually, they become virtually useless for the gospel. They have absolutely no witness. We've seen it happen to pastors. We've seen it happen to, seen it, we've seen it happen to ministers. We've even seen it happen to people in the church, people who have this vibrant faith. They're in love with Jesus. They're excited about the Lord, but they don't protect their hearts and they fall headlong into sin and it destroys their families. Oftentimes it destroys careers. It destroys finances. And then most importantly, it destroys their witness with other people, even their own family members. That's why this is so important. You have to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And then as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, of all of the pieces of armor that we're going to talk about that Paul has to talk about here, this is actually the hardest one to relate to. Okay. Uh, because when you think about this, the shoes of the first century, when you think about those things, you're not thinking combat boots. I know that I'm not, okay? Right? You're thinking what I'm thinking, which is sandals, because that's exactly what they had. They had sandals, all right? And so it's hard to visualize shoes and how they can be armor, especially shoes that are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It doesn't sound, it sounds kind of weird, right? Well, well, the reason why is because we don't understand the context. In this context, what Paul tells us about is this armor, and he's using the armor of a Roman soldier as a model for us 
to understand. See, the Roman soldiers were the fiercest and most successful soldiers in all of history at that time. All right, and, and for this analogy to work, you have to understand how Roman soldiers fought. You see, the Roman soldiers didn't fight simply by rushing into battle and getting into a fight. They fought in formation. They lined up. They moved, uh, moved up as a unit, shoulder to shoulder. And their enemy would then come attack them and try to break their ranks and push them back. And so each soldier was like a piece of a wall. And as long as the soldiers were able to stand their ground, then the wall stood. So Roman soldiers, in their effort to better stand their ground, they would put on shoes made specifically for battle. They wore cleats. Okay? Right? That way they could actually grip the ground as they were leaning forward against the enemy. Okay, that's what the shoes that Paul is talking about. And what he's saying here is the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us the ability to stand our ground. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth that gives us the ability to stand our ground when the enemy is trying to push us back. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our ability to fight back against the enemy. Because it is all God. You were dead in your sins. You were a sinner incapable of saving yourself. You were a sinner, you know, and you were destined to face the full wrath and judgment of God just like the enemy is. You were destined to spend eternity in a torment in hell right along with the enemy. But God loved you so much that he gave his son, his only son, who then in turn gave his life on the cross because of that love. And he paid the penalty for your sin so that you could go free. And three days later, historically, he rose again, proving that he conquered sin and death. And at the resurrection, his resurrection is the picture of the future that we all hope for, that we trust Jesus for, that one day we will be resurrected with incorruptible bodies and we will spend eternity forever with Jesus, with the rest of those who trusted him, hopefully our family and friends. That is the gospel. That is our hope. That is what allows us to stand our ground. So Paul says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, the Roman shield was a large piece of armor, okay, and, and, and that we can see here. It's, it's an but it's also an integral way that the, the Romans, they, they, they moved and they fought battles, okay? But the shield was not simply used to just protect soldiers from frontal attacks, all right, in hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was also designed to protect soldiers from arrows being shot from a distance, all right? Their shields were a great form of proje uh, protection for, from projectile-type weapons. And what Paul's saying here is your faith... Okay, is an effective shield against the enemy's attacks, whether it's brute force up close and personal or those long-distance kind of sniper attacks of temptation that the enemy sees, uh, you know, sees an opportunity, tries to take a shot at you out of nowhere. Your faith in God, your trust in him, your belief in him will deliver you out of that. It is your shield. Your faith gives you the ability to ward off those attacks. Because that's how, because this is how it works. When your enemy comes against you, whether it's temptation to sin or a devastating loss of a loved one or, or financial struggle or, or, <clears throat> or a loss of a job or the prospect of a shipwrecked marriage or maybe even the betrayal of, of a best friend, your shield is simply this. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. I trust that you have the ability to fix this. I trust that you have the ability to work this out for good. I trust 
in your ability to provide for me. I trust in your ability to save me, Lord, no matter what happens. I believe in you and I trust in you. No matter what happens, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that he saved me for, for, from an eternity in hell. Lord, I trust in you. No matter what comes your way, your shield is your complete trust and reliance on God. Remember, you can't fight this fight on your own anyway, in your own strength. And then Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, we obviously kind of know what helmets are, right? I mean, this is something that protects your head, which is exactly what the Roman helmet was designed for. Now, why do you need to protect your head? It's because where your brain is, right? That's where your mind is. That's where the thinking is done. And Paul says, to protect your head or your brain or your mind, you need to do that with the helmet of salvation. Now, what does Paul mean here? What he means here is you need to protect your mind with the knowledge that you are saved. You see, because the enemy is always going to try to mess with your head. He's always going to try to get your thinking sideways. He's always going to try to make you question everything you do. He's going to try to make you question and doubt God and his love for you. He's going to try to make you wonder if the gospel is actually even real, right? He's going to mess with your head. And if you've been a Christian for any time at all, you know what I'm talking about. Because there's just going to be times in your life where you're just going to have doubts, right? You're going to doubt God's goodness, you're going to doubt his ability to save you. You're going to doubt, you know, the word of God, whether it's really authentic and authoritative. You're going to doubt if God can even change your circumstances. Your enemy is going to mess with your head. And the way you protect yourself is simply put on the helmet of salvation or simply keep in the forefront of your mind all the time the absolute knowledge that God has promised to save you and that he always keeps his promises. You need to remind yourself regularly that the hope of the gospel, that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you have done, that if you believe in, trust in, hope in Jesus, you are saved. That's the promise of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now the thing that we have to really understand and, and actually own for ourselves, that this word in this text here, have is in fact a present tense word. And not only that, it actually means not just have, but to possess or to own or to hold. Okay? And so here's what Jesus says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, in that moment that he believes, should not perish but have or own or possess, present tense, in that moment, eternal life. And this is important. Because there's going to become days when you're going to look at your life and you're going to examine your heart and what's happening around you and you're going to wonder, does God really love me? Right? Am I really saved? I mean, am I really someone God would die for? Okay? You need to come back to this verse because if you truly believe in Jesus, you trust in him for salvation, then you are saved. And you can protect your mind with that knowledge, the helmet of salvation. Now, finally, God talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here's where I'm going to get really, really frank with you. Um, because it doesn't matter what armor you put on. It doesn't matter how big your shield is. It doesn't matter if you're wearing cleats and a helmet. If you go into battle without a weapon, you're just asking to be whooped. Okay. And a lot of you are like, well, you know, 
I don't know why I'm struggling. I keep making the same mistakes. I don't know why my relationship's always in disaster. I don't know why life isn't getting any better. Well, I'll tell you why. It's one of two reasons. You're either going into battle without a weapon, which is the word of God, or you're going into battle with a weapon you've never really even learned to use. That's what's happening to you. You're, you're, you're getting beat up by the enemy because you don't have a weapon or you don't know how to use the weapon that you've been given. You know how I, want, how I know that? How many of you read the Bible at least one time this week? Okay, that's pretty good. Okay, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. How many of you read the Bible every day this week? Okay, now, now of those who are still doing that, how many of you didn't just read the Bible, but actually studied the Bible with a pen and a paper in their hands. Okay. You see what I'm talking about here? All right. That's why you're getting your tail kicked by the enemy. You're not learning how to use a weapon that God has given you. All right. You might own a Bible. It doesn't make any difference if you're not actually learning how to use the word of God in your life. I mean, think about this. Okay. We're all pretty sensitive to crime right now. Right? And so you think, man, crime's on the rise, and they go buy a gun, right? And so you go to the gun store, right? And you pick something out. Maybe you buy yourself a handgun, or maybe, you know, a shotgun, or maybe one of them AR type rifles that everybody's like all worked up about, all right? And you buy yourself the gun and some ammo, you take it home, and you're all excited, and you go stick it in the closet. And then you never actually take it out and fire it, you never actually practice with it. Let me ask you a question. How successful do you think you're going to be defending yourself with that? Probably not very successful. In fact, the chances are if somebody breaks into your house, you're probably going to get hurt. Okay? Because you don't know how to use the weapon that you own. It's the same thing with the Bible. The word of God is your sword, okay? That you inflict damage on the enemy when he comes against you, okay? You can stop his advance with your shield, but you fight him back with the sword. And the sword that, that you know, that, that's the weapon in your hand is the word of God. And when you have, when you're equipped with that sword, you become a weapon in God's hand. And without the sword, the best you can do is either run or cower down behind your shield and hope that the enemy relents before you break. And the truth be told, the rest of your armor actually gets weaker if you don't learn to use the word of God because how are you going to fasten the loose ends of your life down by the truth when you don't even know what the truth is because you haven't taken the time to learn what the truth is from the Bible? How are you going to protect your heart with a breastplate of righteousness when you don't even know what righteousness is because you haven't bothered to find out but what's in the word of God? What about the shield of faith? How are you going to use the shield of faith when you don't even know what God's actually promised you? John and I were talking about this morning. God's made, he, when you read the word, there's promise after promise after promise. How are you going to know that he's promised to be with you and never forsake you? How do you know that he promised that all things work for good for those who love God and called according to his purpose? Unless you actually read it. The word of God is not only a weapon against the enemy, but it strengthens every other part of your armor. And it's the difference between victory and defeat in battle. Let me just tell you, every time you get caught in battle with the enemy... And you don't have that sword or you don't know how to use that sword. You're just asking to get whooped. You're just asking to get beat. And as I said before, when people come to me and they want to talk to me about counseling, right? There's always, always two questions I'm going to ask. And so you can always be prepared. Two questions I'm going to ask. How's your time in prayer? How's your time in the word? And let me just tell you, when people come to me spiritually beat up, 
They're not telling me, man, I spend so much time in the word and I'm taking notes and I'm getting so much out of the word. And, and you know what? I just can't seem to get my life back together. It doesn't happen that way. Okay, I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to be facetious here. That is exactly the truth. The common denominator is people are not spending enough time in prayer. Right? And they're not spending enough time in the word. They're not learning how to use the sword that God has given them to fight off their enemy. And so if you want to have victory in your life, you want to win these battles when the enemy keeps coming against you, then you need to use the powerful tool that's, that, that's, that's in your hand, the word of God. You need to learn to use it, which means you need to read it and study it and meditate it, which means think about it, and memorize it. That's why we spent, we did a series, 40 days in the word. You need to learn how to use the weapon against the enemy. And then Paul says, uh, verse 18, praying at all times in spirit with all prayer and supplication. And that's really the final ingredient, ingredient to your armor is prayer. And, and notice what he says here. He's saying praying at all times. We're going to be constantly in prayer. Because here's the truth. One of the most underutilized tools that the Christian has in his arsenal is prayer. We simply just don't pray enough. Think about this. You have an open line of Instant communication with the commander over God's entire angel army. The one who can do anything. And we just simply fail to pick up the line. We just don't do it. We don't pray enough. Now here's the thing. <clears throat> In a sermon like this, there's going to be a temptation for you. And the temptation is for you to say to yourself, you know, I know this. I've heard it all before. Okay. I was actually hoping you might say something like really cool, you know, about fighting the devil, right? Something I've never heard before. Maybe like, you know, the secrets of holy water. Or maybe, maybe you're going to tell me about, you know, getting some consecrated oil and going home and, and rubbing all over my stuff. Or maybe, maybe reciting chants like, you know, the, the power of Christ compels you. For those of you who've actually seen that movie. Um, right. Some of you have seen it, right? <laughs> you know. Maybe I can put on some special clothes or there's a special Jesus amulet, you know, to fight the devil with. Okay. Now, but, I, but I know this stuff. I mean, the pastor's right, but, but I'm not getting much out of this sermon because I've heard all this before. I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. I know I'm supposed to pray. I know I'm supposed to walk in faith and righteousness, blah, 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 blah. I know all that. I've heard it all before. And you might be tempted to just tune me out at this point, but don't. Because... Let me just be very blunt. I'm not telling you this because I want to be liked. I'm not telling you this because I want to be popular. I'm not telling you this because I want you to think, wow, what a great sermon, what great exegesis and whatever, da, 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 da. I'm not even telling you this so that you'll be my friend. I'm telling you this because it is the truth. You want to know how to fight the enemy? Then walk in the truth. Live a life based on the righteousness of God. Stand on the foundation of the gospel. Use your faith as a shield. Keep the knowledge of your salvation in the forefront of your mind. And learn how to use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then pray. Pray at all times. That is it. There's no magic formulas. There's no incantations. There's no sacred physical objects. It's simply read your Bible Pray, obey God's commands, keep your mind and heart focused on the fact that you're saved by grace. Oh, and by the way, fellowship, okay? Because I don't know if you noticed, but 
The Roman soldiers, they didn't go out and fight alone. They were always in a unit, okay? Their weapons and armor were designed for that, and so are yours. You need to be connected to the body of Christ in some way. That's how you fight the enemy in the spiritual realm. You do these things. Now, they might not seem as cool to you and dramatic, you know, as what you've seen in the movies like The Exorcist or Constantine, But this is exactly what the Bible says to do. And this is exactly what works. Read your Bible. Pray. Obey God's commands. Keep focused on the gospel and your salvation. And stay connected with the church. That is how you beat the enemy. And let me be even more blunt than this. If you will not make a concerted effort to do these things... If you will not make a concerted effort to read the word of God, if you will not make a concerted effort to spend time with God in prayer, if you're not making an effort to walk in holiness, but you're making excuses for yourself, right? And and, and you're not turning from your sin, but you're because you don't want to pursue practical holiness. And I'm not talking about perfection, I'm talking about practical holiness. If you're not going to make a concerted effort to do these things, then what you are choosing is for your enemy to come against you. That's why you're choosing. And then you can expect when he comes against you, he's going to beat the living daylights out of you. He's going to mess with your head. He's going to poison your heart. He's going to push you off that stable ground that you stand on into the miry clay of despair. And you're going to wonder, why does this keep happening to me? Why is life so hard? Where is God and why does he allow me to struggle like this? Why do I keep making the same mistakes? Why do my relationships always fall apart? Why can't I get past this temptation in my life? And all I can say is you're just not doing what you need to do to fight back. I mean, honestly, why would you even want to call yourself a Christian and refuse to do these things? Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And he was talking to Christians Because when you put your trust in Jesus, you certainly have eternal life. But in the same time, all right, your life, you become a target for the enemy when that happens. You become a weak link. You become easy prey. You become that sickly little animal that gets separated from the herd as the lion prowls around looking for something to devour. Okay? I mean, he might not be able to take your eternity, but he can certainly make your life, this side of eternity, a living hell. And it can make you completely ineffective for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So right now before you, what you have is a decision. A choice to make. You will either allow yourself to become separated from the group and become an easy target. Or you will take up and put on the armor of God and fight back. That's the choice you have. Now understand, God gives you the freedom to choose. He just does not give you the freedom from the consequences of the choices that you make. So that's the question you have to ask yourself. Am I going to be an easy target or am I going to stand up and fight? There's not any middle ground to this. Either you will or you won't. Either you will put on the armor of God or you won't. Either you will learn to use the sword of the word or you won't. Either you will devote yourself to prayer or you won't. And here's the thing. If you won't, we're still going to love you. And we're still going to welcome you here. And we're still going to pray for you and encourage you. That doesn't ever change. But the decision is yours. You're either going to be equipped to get into the fight or go find a place to hide, hunker down, and hope the enemy doesn't find you. But I promise, 
he will find you. He always does. He's been doing this a long, long time. So either cower down or stand up and fight. Let me pray for you. Lord God, your word is very clear. And I just pray, Lord God, that I would be convicted to move even more in this area. And that all of us, Lord, that we would just decide this is going to be a part of our life from now on. That we're going to be in the word every day. We're going to be in prayer every day. That we're going to walk with you every day. We're going to, we're going to take seriously personal holiness and righteousness. That we're going to do everything we can to be righteous. Not because we're trying to be saved. It's not at all. We're just trying to protect our hearts so we can be victorious in this fight. We don't want to be victims that keep getting knocked down by the enemy. We want to stand our ground and fight him back and take ground, Lord. And the way we're going to do this is through the word and through prayer and through the knowledge of our salvation and standing firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ and putting around us the truth and tying all the loose ends of our life to that truth and holding up the shield of of our faith and wielding your word in a way that sends the enemy running. I pray, Lord, that we'd all take that seriously, that we'd all grow in that, and we'd walk in that. Lord, that we're not going to be perfect in that tomorrow, but that we would just move towards that this week. And we just commit to ourselves, whether it's 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, whatever we need to, that we're going to move towards that ideal, and we're going to grow in that. I pray your hand upon all that are here and all that who are not here, Lord. There are a lot of people on vacation this last couple weekends before school starts. I pray you bring them back here safely. And Lord, that you'd bless them and you'd raise up in this congregation of people who love you and are passionate for your name. And I pray, Father, that you're going to be glorified in all that we do. We love you and we praise you. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.